0: The Washington Post is wrong. Democracy doesn't die in darkness. It dies in plain sight because enough people think democracy is a luxury America can no longer afford. That is pretty much the position of the Republican Party now, that you can vote for anyone you like, but it doesn't count if it's not us. Heads we win, tails we coop. I got nothing to add there.
1: something right i'm so scared in case i fall off my chair and i'm wondering how i'll get down the stairs clowns to the left of me jokers to the right here i am stuck in
0: the middle with you yep from pacifica radio in los angeles this is the broadcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 fm in la Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding, on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, Sandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around, swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. It's a big show. You might want to get a pen and paper to take notes along the way. (laughs) Are you
1: trying to stuff another 10-pound show into a uh, one-pound bag?
0: Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, Hi, Desi Doyen. Uh, It is another one of those days when we have had to restructure the show about five different times throughout the day as news keeps breaking. Breaking us, in truth. Uh, (laughs) As I uh, continue to mention, these are decidedly unconventional times. So I've got some breaking news on Trump uh, regarding January 6th and his attempt to steal the 2020 election, among other things, shortly today. But I do want to try to let you know about this before we get to that. Uh, We have been telling the story of the post-2020 census redistricting schemes across the country in advance of this year's midterm elections. Initially, there was, of course, great fear that Republicans would take the opportunity to greatly enhance the gerrymanders they already have in place from over the past 10 years in states that they control. As the U.S. Supreme Court recently determined that federal courts can take no action whatsoever when it comes to partisan gerrymandering. Well, thanks to some state court rulings thereafter and a number of constitutional amendments that were adopted, state constitutional amendments that were adopted by voters over the past 10 years in several states, mandating fair election maps and some federal court rulings on racial gerrymandering, which the stolen and packed U.S. Supreme Court, uh, at least previously, allowed federal courts to deal with. The maps being drawn up for the U.S. House, while they weren't all that great, they were less terrible than initially feared by Democrats and voting rights advocates. Well... Then, late in the game, in just the past couple of weeks, the Supreme Court jumped back into the thing, to this mess, to block a lower federal court's mandate for a new majority black district in Alabama and blocked several new black districts in a Wisconsin-approved map. And Ohio figured out a trick to use a U.S. House map for the 2022 elections that the state Supreme Court had twice rejected as unconstitutional under their state constitution. And yet they're going to be able to use it anyway for 2022 as it gets all of that gets fought out in Ohio. Then the New York state court jumped in to block an aggressive Democratic gerrymander in that state and a map. Agreed upon by the GOP-controlled federal legis- uh, Florida legislature, which could have been worse, was itself blocked by Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, who wanted his own personal map to be used, which, of course, was much worse. Even then, the Republican legislature had come up with it removed two black majority districts at DeSantis's command, potentially giving Republicans a 20 to 8 advantage in the U.S. House delegation for Florida, despite the much more closely divided partisan split in that state among voters. The state's current House delegation is 16 to 11. This would change it. If uh, DeSantis, uh, who barely won his uh, statewide election, by the way, by less than one percentage point back in 2018, this would change it to 20 to 8 in favor of Republicans under the new map from Ron DeSantis, which Florida legislatures, of course, agreed to use his own personal map. So. Things are not looking great again in that regard for those of us who believe in democracy and fair representation and such quaint ideas as that. But on Wednesday, there was this via TPM's Matt Shum, a state judge in Florida on Wednesday, one actually appointed, by the way, by Ron DeSantis, said that a gerrymandered congressional map pushed by the Republican governor was unconstitutional because it diminished the ability of thousands of black voters to pick the representative of their choice. Attorneys for the state are sure to appeal, and DeSantis has spoken openly about how he feels that Florida's anti-gerrymandering state constitutional amendments, approved by the voters of the state, actually violate the U.S. Constitution.
1: Wait, what?
0: He he says that his own state constitution... The
1: one that gets rid of black, a black majority district. No, no,
0: his own state constitution that, that oh. mandates fair districts, that that, he says, is a violation of the U.S. Constitution. Because okay. all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he's in favor of the federal government over states' rights, apparently. Very convenient, Ron. Uh, for now... The congressional map that the governor fought hard to pass into law and which would add several Republican leaning seats to Florida's already red congressional delegation has been placed on hold before the state's August 23rd midterm primary. Judge J. Lane Smith was appointed to the Second Circuit Court of Florida by DeSantis himself in 2020. This judge previously served as a county judge who was appointed in 2015 by the previous Republican governor, Rick Scott, who's now uh, 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 the state's junior U.S. senator. In his ruling from the bench after a hearing on Wednesday, Judge Smith said, I am finding that the enacted map is unconstitutional under the Fair District's amendment because it diminishes African-Americans ability to elect the representative of their choice. He said, I fully expect the appellate court to get this and move as uh, and will move as swiftly as I can, he added. In the interim, however, Smith said he was leaning toward using an alternative map as a remedy that as a remedy that was recommended by an expert witness for legal challengers against DeSantis's map. The fight over that map focuses on northern Florida and specifically Congressional District five In the state, the current plurality black congressional district, which DeSantis's map would eliminate legal challengers argued that eliminating that district violated the fair districting redistricting amendments passed by Florida in 2010, which state that congressional districts cannot diminish the ability of minority voters, quote, to elect representatives of their choice. What's more, the current fifth district was actually drawn by the Florida State Supreme Court in response to the last redistricting uh, legal fight in Florida.
1: You mean the last time Republicans in Florida tried to cheat black voters Correct. out of their Correct, okay. yes.
0: Judge Smith, in this case, asked a lawyer for the uh, state during the hearing, "Quote: Are you politely suggesting that I should say the state Supreme Court didn't realize it was unconstitutional when they did it? <laughs> The uh, the lawyer for the late uh, for the state later said, uh, "Quote: What evidence evidence do we have of a race-based problem in North Florida? None." An attorney for the plaintiffs. Uh, Had to point out that the law does not discuss the need for a, quote, race based problem in order to justify district lines, but rather the non diminishment of minority voters ability to elect the representatives of their choice. For his part, Smith noted Florida's Judge Smith noted Florida's complex geography and the influence of history. The history of slavery and racism on demographic patterns in the state, specifically in the area of the Fifth District, which runs along Florida's border with Georgia. Uh, He asked, uh, where were the plantations? If you go back to slavery leading up to now and the dispersion of African-Americans in the communities, Jackson County, across down to Alachua County. They were near the state line of Georgia. Okay, so everything comes back to Georgia, doesn't it? And <laughs> and folks have, have wondered why we covered its, its elections so closely for so many years on this show. Anyway, nodding to the state's argument, Judge Smith said it's possible a higher court could find that Florida's fair redistricting amendments violate federal law, but he added, quote, I'm not going to be that court. So good for him. Hooray for Judge Smith in not being an activist judge, as Republicans clearly prefer from their jurists.
1: And following the text of the law, it sounds like. Imagine that.
0: So that's some breaking news Uh, looking forward to the 2022 midterms. And now to the breaking news on Thursday, trying to look back at, yes, Donald Trump's attempt to steal the 2020 election and other related matters. House investigators said on Thursday that they have issued subpoenas to House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy and four other GOP lawmakers as part of their probe into the violent January 6 insurrection, AP reports. They call it an extraordinary step that has little precedent. The January 6th panel's subpoenas for McCarthy uh, and Republican reps Jim Jordan of Ohio, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, Andy Biggs of Arizona and Mo Brooks of Alabama come as the investigation is winding down. And as the panel prepares for a series of public hearings this summer beginning next month, I believe, as they are currently scheduled. The committee has been investigating McCarthy's conversations with then President Trump the day of the attack and the meetings that the other other uh, lawmakers, the other four lawmakers had with uh, with the White House as Trump and his aides conspired to overturn his defeat. AP means as they conspired how to steal the election. Though I don't understand for the life of me why they or nor almost any other corporate media outlets will use those words when that is exactly what they were trying to do. Why won't they use those words, Desi?
1: Well, I think it has to do with that uh, that false balance that they, uh, that they adhere to um, because they don't want to be accused of trying to determine intent. If it was just to overturn the election. Well, that's not so bad. Stealing, oh, well, that's bad that you can't say that
0: even though overturning and stealing in this case would be the exact same thing yeah okay the committee has did
1: say it was logical no, or ethical no I know I,
0: I think it's just absurd it's, it's getting really embarrassing the uh, everybody knows what they did here the committee has reportedly uh, been debating for months about whether to issue these uh, unprecedented subpoenas congressional me- uh, subpoenas for sitting members of Congress especially for a party leader are described by AP as almost without precedent in recent decades. AP says almost without precedent, but they don't give any examples of when this has ever happened before. So I don't know if it has or hasn't, but it will be very interesting to see what these members now do, because if they don't answer these lawful congressional subpoenas, they'll be sending the message that no one ever has to answer their own lawful congressional subpoenas when they next issue them whenever they take over the majority in the House. The uh, bipartisan January 6th panel has previously asked for voluntary contra- uh, cooperation from the five men along with a handful of other GOP lawmakers. Nonetheless, all of them have refused to speak so far with the panel. The committee said it uh, as it announced the subpoenas, quote, These members include those who participated in meetings at the White House, those who had direct conversations with President Trump leading up to and during the attack on the Capitol, and those who were involved in the planning and coordination of certain activities on and before January 6. McCarthy has acknowledged that he did speak with Trump on January 6, which happened as Trump supporters were beating police outside the Capitol, injuring more than 140 of them. And uh, as they were forcing their way into the building, the committee requested information about McCarthy's conversations with Trump, quote, before, during and after the riot. Now, McCarthy, you may or may not recall at this point, he actually took the floor after the rioters were finally cleared from the House on January 6th. And he said in a very forceful speech that Trump, quote, bears responsibility for the attack And he called it, quote, the saddest day I have ever had in Congress, that even as he then went on to join 138 other House Republicans to vote to reject the election results. And later, he also voted against impeaching Trump for inciting the insurrection. Yes, the one that McCarthy had already said on the floor that Trump, quote, bears responsibility for the GOP leader quickly made up with trump shortly thereafter however visiting him in florida taking a photograph of him with him you know kissing his ring and all of that uh and then uh, rallying house republicans to vote against any investigation of the attack so this will be very interesting to see how it plays out and if they refuse to answer those subpoenas Will they be held in contempt by the U.S. House? Will they hold actual U.S. Congress members in contempt of Congress for refusing to answer to lawful congressional subpoenas? But that is not all. uh, But wait, there's more. Oh, there's plenty more today. Potential (laughs) accountability news. We call it potential accountability news, I guess, that Trump is facing today. Federal. uh, This via the uh, New York Times and their well-sourced Maggie Haberman and Michael Schmidt. Federal prosecutors have begun a grand jury investigation into whether classified White House documents that ended up at former President Trump's Florida home were mishandled. That, according to two people briefed on the matter, if a grand jury investigation is underway now, that would suggest to me, at least, that, uh, you know, not only are prosecutors looking into the matter, but that actual charges could soon follow from this. They don't have to go to a grand jury until they've got, you know, the the goods to ask for an indictment. The intensifying in- inquiry, the Times reports, suggests that the Justice Department is examining the role of Trump and other officials in the White House in their handling of sensitive and, yes, materials marked as classified during the final stages of Trump's administration. In recent days, the Justice Department has taken a series of steps showing that its investigation has progressed beyond the preliminary stages. Prosecutors issued a subpoena to the National Archives uh, to obtain the boxes of classified documents, According to the Times sources, the, author, uh, the authorities have also made interview requests to people who worked in the White House in the final days of Trump's presidency. The probe is focused on the discovery by the National Archives back in June that at the end of Trump's term, he had taken to his home at the Mar-a-Lago resort 15 boxes from the White House that contained government documents, mementos, gifts, letters, almost all of which were likely subject to retention by the archives under the Presidential Records Act. The boxes were not his. In other words, they were ours. After the boxes were returned finally to the National Archives and it took months to get them back, uh, even though Trump lies and said, oh, we handed them over easily when we were asked. That's not actually what happened. It took months of negotiation. The archivist found uh, documents containing, quote, items marked as classified national security information, according to uh, what the agency told the uh, told Congress in February. Then in April, it was reported that federal authorities were in the preliminary stages of investigating the handling of the classified documents. And now in May, a grand jury has been impaneled. Reportedly, I guess the DOJ can move quickly when it feels like it, eh? The documents in question are believed to have been kept uh, in the residence of the White House before they were then boxed up, sent to Mar-a-Lago. The investigation is focused on how the documents made their way to the residence, uh, who boxed them up, whether anyone knew that classified materials were being improperly taken out of the White House, and how they were ultimately stored at Mar-a-Lago. The question of how Trump has handled sensitive material and documents he's received as president loomed throughout his time in the White House and beyond it, the Times reports. He was known to rip up pieces of paper, of official paper that he was handed, forcing officials to tape them together because it's illegal to destroy presidential records. An upcoming book by a Times reporter reveals that uh, residents staff would find clumps of torn up paper clogging a toilet and believe that Trump had thrown them in the toilet. During the 2016 campaign, of course, you'll recall that Trump made attacking Hillary Clinton for her handling of classified material while she was secretary of state by using a legal private email server for communications with staffers at the State Department that, uh, yes, Trump made that a central part of his rallies You'll recall that's exactly what he was chanting, lock her up, what that was all about, helping to undermine Clinton's uh, credibility with voters. The Justice Department and the FBI opened an investigation that never went to a grand jury, to my knowledge. And it ended with the FBI director Jim Comey at the time holding a news conference shortly before both parties held their nominating convention in the summer of 2016. Many, of course, uh, credit James Comey with uh, harming Hillary's chances uh, at that point with that announcement.
1: I wonder if the investigation into the documents that Trump took to Mar-a-Lago... I wonder who else got to look at those documents. Well that's the question. Yeah. I hope that the investigation covers that. These
0: are national classified national security documents. Now, in Hillary's case, of course, no charges were ever brought against her or anyone else for the handling of those documents that she had received via email, forwarded, uh, were found uh, to have some material marked as classified in them. But for prosecutors to prove a felony in the mishandling of this sort of thing, authorities, the Times notes, would likely need evidence showing that the person in question knowingly and intentionally broke the law. In this case of Trump absconding with 15 boxes of presidential records, including those marked as classified national security information. Well, that would mean uh, proving that the person had been told that taking the information outside of secure channels would violate the law. The fact that they've already gone now to a uh, grand jury tells me, well, somebody knew they weren't supposed to do this. I didn't know I couldn't steal classified national security documents. (laughs) I I could see it now, or at least I hope I see it anyway. uh, That, of course, may be the least of Trump's many crimes while he was in office, at least if one considers an attempt to steal a presidential election while president to be an enormous crime, which I do because it is, or at least it certainly should be. Whether the corporate media or dumb Democrats, uh, you know, who seem to have trouble using those words or not to describe this in the 16 months since Trump and his cronies attempted virtually every possible way to steal the 2020 presidential election from Joe Biden and the American people. Well, I can't tell you what they're thinking. How anyone, how anyone, though, at this point could have any question about that and still be unable to call it out as such as an attempted theft, I can't explain. If the situation were reversed, we'd have been talking about the Democrats attempting to steal the election long ago. And as a matter of fact, they didn't try to steal the election. But Republicans and the MAGA mob, actually, they claim they claim that anyway, with their stop the steal nonsense that they used even before the 2020 election. Now, I have uh, for months, uh, frankly, personally, been putting quite a bit of stock, I guess hope, if you will, into the investigation by, uh, in Georgia by Fulton County, Atlanta, District Attorney Fonnie Willis, her investigation into what was clearly a broad conspiracy by Team Trump to try and steal the election in Georgia, including that infamous phone call from uh, Trump Caught on tape sort of threatening the Georgia secretary of state to, quote, find just the number of votes that would be needed to steal the state from Joe Biden, which he won by 10,000 votes, according to everyone's findings and several counts. Uh Fannie Willis has had her own special grand jury convened in Atlanta since Monday, since uh, two weeks ago, M- Monday, May 2nd. So about two weeks now, she is said to have hired a former prosecutor, federal prosecutor, I believe, who specializes in conspiracy cases. And not to get your hopes up, but I would not be surprised at this point if state charges were brought. In Georgia, against a broad conspiracy led by Donald Trump, including his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who went down there to Georgia while they were doing one of the recounts against his attorney, Rudy Giuliani. And yes, even against North Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, who reportedly also pressured the Georgia Secretary of State to change the results of the election in order to steal it for Donald Trump. I have no idea how long a special grand jury like this might take, but it seems to me we could get news on that at any time. Or at least I hope as much, which is why I just kind of want to restore it to your radar. (laughs) Yes, because that could break at any time, screwing up a whole other show uh, at any time. But uh, if you have any questions that Team Trump was doing everything that they could to try and, yes, steal the presidential election, there is this uh, this week, breaking from the Denver Post and Politico. One of Donald Trump's attorneys, the by now, well, too well-known John Eastman, who spoke at the Ellipse during Trump's rally on January 6th. He was the author of the memos urging Mike Pence to just ignore the Electoral College results, throw the whole election to the House where it would be stolen by Republicans on Trump's behalf. John Eastman urged Republican legislators in Pennsylvania to retabulate the state's popular vote, according to Politico, and simply throw out tens of thousands of legal absentee ballots in order to show Donald Trump actually having a lead in the results. Now, Politico means in order to steal the election in Pennsylvania for Donald Trump. That, according to newly unearthed emails sent in December of 2020 to a state legislator, as Trump pressured GOP lawmakers to subvert his, de- his defeat. Again, Politico, uh, he doesn't mean pressure GOP lawmakers to subvert his defeat. Good God, man, step away from the thesaurus at this point. What is wrong with these people? Anyway, this uh, recalculation...
1: <laughs> Recalculation.
0: That's what, yes. We're just
1: looking at it again. That's
0: what uh, Eastman posited in this email exchange, uh, saying that it would, quote, help provide some cover, unquote, for Republicans to replace Joe Biden's electors from the state with a slate of pro Trump electors, part of a last ditch bid to overturn the election <laughs> results. By provide some cover, uh, Eastman would, by the way, seem to be making clear that he knew he was advise what he was advising was wrong in some fashion, which to me provides uh, clear evidence of intent that he knew what he was doing and that, yes, we need to prosecute these people. Eastman made the suggestion in an exchange with Pennsylvania State Rep. Russ Diamond, Yes, a Republican who had contacted the right wing law professor in December after seeing him testify before the Georgia state Senate. Diamond wrote uh, to Eastman in this email. Honestly, the Trump legal team was not exactly stellar at Pennsylvania's hearings. He said they, quote, failed to provide the affidavits of their witnesses and made glaring errors by purporting that more ballots had been returned than were mailed out. Diamond said, It's for this reason that I so latched onto your comments that actual fraud is irrelevant when the election itself is unlawful. They had just decided that the election was unlawful. Just never mind. We don't care if there's fraud. The whole thing, just throw it out.
1: We didn't win. They didn't vote for us. Throw it out.
0: That's it. Uh, Now, what what Eastman tells via these emails is basically he says, well, don't vote to throw it out, vote to throw it out and to insert the Trump electors in place of the Biden electors. Do it in one fell swoop, as he wrote. He said, do you want to only go halfway? In the December 4 exchange, Eastman floated yet another option that had to do with the verification of absentee ballots Uh, He said, why not apply the, quote, historical rejection rate for ballots and then, quote, discount each candidate's total by a prorated amount based on the absentee percentage those candidates otherwise received. This is not how elections work at all. You don't just prorate various votes as you see fit by any formula that you want to pull out of your rear end. Nonetheless, in these emails obtained by a uh, 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 records public records request, <laughs> Eastman said, quote, having done the math, you'd be left with a significant Trump lead if you do this pro scheme that would bolster the argument for the legislature to adopt a slate of Trump electors perfectly within your authority to do anyway. And now bolstered by the untainted popular vote that would help provide some cover." And by untainted popular vote, he actually means tainted popular (laughs) vote because they threw out thousands of perfectly lawful votes through some sort of random math in order to come up with the results that they preferred. Of course, Biden ultimately won Pennsylvania by more than 80,000 votes. The uh, Denver Post first reported on the existence of these emails between Eastman and Diamond. Uh, They are just remarkable. And if this doesn't raise some prosecutor's attention somewhere, I don't know what will. Now, Diamond, uh, in responding to all of this to Politico, said that, oh, these were just, uh, you know, drafts, ideas. Uh, He added that he believes, quote, jealously guarding and preserving the legitimate authority of the Pennsylvania General Assembly should always remain a priority. But what about jealously guarding democracy and the votes of, you know, Pennsylvania voters? You know, those could simply those, as far as he was concerned, could simply be tossed aside and replaced with best guess numbers to guarantee us the results that we want, no matter what the actual Pennsylvania voters wanted. But yes, let's jealously guard the Pennsylvania General Assembly. That must remain a priority. In litigation uh, between Eastman separately, between Eastman and the House Select Committee in um, uh, looking into January 6th, this uh, litigation in California, as Eastman continues to withhold documents from that panel between him and the White House regarding all of this. You'll recall a federal judge ruled uh, last month that Eastman and Trump were likely guilty of federal felonies in their attempt. To steal the election, U.S. District Judge David Carter described the effort as, quote, a coup in search of a legal theory. Well, they are still searching for it and we are still searching for accountability for it. Let's take a quick break here. And um, because with more breaking accountability news, because it never ends right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. A death for no reason, and death for no reason is murder. Mm -hmm. It is indeed. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That old song from the 80s, Meat is Murder by the Smiths, uh, actually serves us here in in several different ways this segment. Uh, President Joe Biden on Thursday mourned One million American deaths from COVID-19 using the occasion to again urge Congress to pass additional funding to control the pandemic, which Republicans have been blocking despite the money drying up at this point to, you know, do things like pay for testing and treatment and so forth. Biden marked the moment during his opening statement at the White House's latest virtual global COVID-19 summit, Reflecting on the pandemic's devastation on the nation over more than two years, as he noted, the pandemic isn't over. Today, we mark a tragic milestone here in the United States. One million COVID deaths. One million empty chairs around the family dinner table. Each irreplaceable, irreplaceable losses. Each leaving behind a family, a community forever changed because of this pandemic. The president also acknowledged that around the world, many more millions have died as a result of the pandemic. Uh, Looking forward, he told attendees that the global community has to, quote, start working to prevent the next variant and the next pandemic right now. But as we look forward, we also look back today in hopes of accountability. We've spent some time on this program calling for accountability for Donald Trump over the uh, last, well, many months uh, for the mass homicide, as I see it, of hundreds and thousands of Americans who unnecessarily died thanks to Trump's purposely deadly response to the COVID crisis. And now, if you need more evidence of that, there is this disturbing, if frankly not surprising, news from uh, Breaking from the Washington Post on Thursday. The biggest players in the U.S. meat industry pressed, quote, baseless claims of beef and pork shortages early in the pandemic to persuade the Trump White House to keep processing plants running via an executive order by the president, disregarding the coronavirus risks that eventually killed at least 269 workers in the industry, in that one industry alone. That, according to a special Bipartisan House Committee investigating the nation's pandemic response in a report released Thursday. The committee alleges that Tyson Foods legal team prepared a draft executive order with input from other companies that became the basis for the actual order that was issued by the Trump administration in April of 2020. To keep the uh, plants open, making it difficult for workers to stay home. Remember this. Remember that very early in the uh, in the epi- in the pandemic, in the pandemic, the concern about, you know, there was lockdowns. But, oh, we can't lock down the the meat plants because we won't be able to feed America. We must keep these workers in these plants working in very close conditions. We can't let them stay home during this lockdown because it'll just destroy the American food supply. Well, according to this report, again, by this bipartisan select subcommittee on the coronavirus crisis, quote, meatpacking companies knew the risk posed by the coronavirus to their workers and knew that it wasn't a risk that the country needed them to take. They nonetheless lobbied aggressively, successfully enlisting the U.S. Agriculture Department As a close collaborator in their efforts to keep workers on the job in unsafe conditions to ensure state and local health authorities were powerless to mandate otherwise and to be protected against legal liability for the harms that would result. Remember, they were fighting against uh, state lockdown orders and said, we need permission from the feds to keep our plants open. And they got it. The report alleges the nation's largest meat packers and industry trade groups repeatedly misled the public when they were warned that any slowdown in their uh, operations posed an imminent threat to the nation's meat supplies, but... The investigators wrote these fears were baseless. The report is based on a review of 151,000 pages of documents, more than a dozen survey calls with industry union reps, with former Ag Department and OSHA officials and state and local authorities. Internal industry documents showed that, quote, Despite awareness of the high risks of coronavirus spread in their plants, meatpacking companies engaged in a concerted effort with Trump administration political officials to insulate themselves from coronavirus related oversight to force workers to continue working in dangerous conditions and to shield themselves from legal liability for any resulting worker illness or death, according to the report. In the run up to the executive order that was eventually uh, released by the White House, Smithfield and Tyson uh, leaders held calls with members of President Donald Trump's administration, including then chief of staff Mark Meadows and Vice President Mike Pence's chief of staff, Mark Short. And this is why corporate takeover of government, corporate capture of government, allowing industry to actually draft presidential orders is not just corrupt, but it's also deadly. At least 59,000 workers at Tyson Foods, Smithfield Foods, JBS, Cargill and National Beef, these are the companies that control most of the U.S. meat market, 50,000 workers fell ill with the coronavirus in the pandemic's first year. At least 269 industry workers died between March 1 of 2020 and February 1 of 2021. Even worse, an estimated, get this, 334,000 coronavirus cases nationwide have been tied to those meatpacking plants. You know, when those workers would come home, make their families sick, make uh, workers in their communities, others in their communities sick, resulting in more than $11 billion in economic damage. According to the research from University of California at Davis, researchers found that per capita infection rates in counties that housed beef and pork processing facilities were twice as high as the national average. I'm sure you'll recall that uh, publicly meat industry lobbyists and executives raised alarms about the threat that the plant closures would present to the food supply chain across the nation. The concerns about worker absenteeism would hamper productions as the virus first swept across the nation and the government unleashed an unprecedented flood of unemployment benefits to support workers who could no longer work. John Tyson, chairman of Tyson's board, wrote in a full-page newspaper ad that ran in the New York Post, the I'm sorry, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette in April of 2020, quote, "The food supply chain is breaking. We have a responsibility to feed our country." The ad said, "Our plants must remain op- uh, operational so that we can supply food to our uh, families in America." I remember that ad. I think we reported it on oh, the yeah. show at the time. But get this. That's that very same month, US pork experts ex- exports. I yes, say, exports. US pork exports were at a three year high, the report found. In the first three quarters of twenty twenty. So that's, you know, pretty much three quarters of the pandemic in that first year. Uh, Three quarters uh, during that time, JBS exported 370 percent more pork to China than it had in the same period in 2017.
1: I just want to underscore that. So they were saying that there's going to be a shortage. we got to force these people yep. to work in unsafe conditions. Yep. I'm sorry, folks. There's just yep. no other way around it to feed our families here in the United States. But at that time, JBS was exporting almost 400 percent more pork to China, to China in those months.
0: That's right. Uh, Smithfield uh, reported a 90% increase during that same window. There was no shortage. There there was a surplus. And And thanks to the willingness of the industry to force the employees to work in deadly conditions with no way out, they made out like bandits as they, you know, were told, these workers were told they would not be eligible for unemployment if they quit. These employers... Must be held accountable for the consequences of their blatant disregard of the safety and lives of their employees, said the president of the retail, wholesale and department store union in a statement on Thursday in response to all of this. By held accountable. Yeah, I would like to be see them be held accountable for homicide. To keep production humming while business activity around the world ground to a halt, meatpacking companies and the USDA, quote, jointly lobbied the White House to dissuade workers from staying home or from quitting. Go to work and die. In April 2020, chief executives from Tyson, JBS, Smithfield, and other meatpacking companies had a call with Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue, former governor of Georgia. See, it all, everything comes back to Georgia, in which they asked him to, quote, elevate the need for messaging about the importance of our workforce, staying at work to the president or the vice president level. And they separately stressed, stressed the need to make clear that being afraid of COVID-19 is not a reason to quit your job and you are not eligible for unemployment compensation if you quit. Well, soon after that call in a news conference, Vice President Mike Pence, everyone's hero, issued a, quote, direct message to meatpacking workers that, quote, we need you to continue to show up and do your job. He admonished recent, quote, incidents of worker absenteeism. Show up for work, risk your life, face death to please some of our top corporate supporters. In other words, Pence was saying as the administration, yes, took that executive action to make that mandatory. Tyson's legal team drafted the proposal for the executive order that companies used as their justification to keep plants open, according to the probe. And the final version, quote, adopted the themes and statutory directive laid out in Tyson's draft, invoking the Defense Production Act to ensure meatpacking plants continue operation, no matter how many people die. Quote. The report notes, quote, in the days leading up to President Trump's issuance of the executive order, meatpacking industry reps and companies, Smithfield and Tyson in particular, engaged in constant communications with Trump appointees at USDA, the National Economic Council and the White House, including the chiefs of staff of both Trump and Pence. The day after the executive order, the Trump White House allegedly, quote, (laughs) this is just, quote, requested that the companies, quote, issue positive statements and social media about the president's actions on behalf of the industry, according to the report. Yep, that sounds like our Donald Trump, don't it? Oh, yeah. In December, as uh, President Biden's White House sought to crack down on decades high inflation this past December, It published a briefing about the meat industry alleging companies had abused their market dominance to reap massive profits while workers and consumers paid the price for it. A group of four of the country's biggest meat processors collectively increased their profits 120 percent compared with before the pandemic. Their net income spiked 500 percent. I've been making this case over and over again on this shows this inflation is not because of the pandemic. It's not because of the war. It is because corporate profiteering. Uh, Some claim that meat processors are forced to raise prices to the level they are now uh, because of increasing input costs, but their own earnings data and statements contradict that claim. The briefing from the White House reads, noting that their profit margins, quote, have skyrocketed since the pandemic. So anyone going to be held accountable now for the deaths of 269 meatpackers? Anyone? Anyone going to be held accountable for anything? Just asking for a few hundred million friends. Green News Report is next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. And of all of this uh, hasn't already been enough uh, today, Des. You reminded me over the break there of a, yes. one point I forgot in that meat packing yeah, story. Yeah, this whole
1: obscene story yeah. that I just re- Tyson Foods, one of the companies implicated mm-hmm. in this meat packing scandal, they actually fired seven plant managers last year because they had a betting ring on which workers were going to get COVID and which ones <laughs> were going to die.
0: Unbelievable. Somebody please hold these people accountable. Uh, All right. Well, I told you you were going to need to take notes today. (laughs) Uh, And as if all of that is not enough, it's time for our latest Green News Report. It
1: shows us yet again that the very survival of the reef is at stake.
0: Australia's
1: Great Barrier Reef hit with another mass bleaching event. Global warming, a key factor in the emergence of new diseases. Oh,
0: great. Plus, water officials warn if we get to a Tier 3 shortage, hard decisions will have to be made.
1: Arizona and California move to enact more severe drought restrictions.
0: All of those hard decisions and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And
1: I'm Desi Doyen.
0: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. There
1: really is no alternative here. If we're to see a future for the reef and all the industries, the jobs and everything that depend on it, to be bringing our emissions down much faster than we are at the moment and move beyond fossil fuels and give the reef a fighting chance.
0: All he is saying is give reefs a chance. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, this has been getting worse and worse every year, year after year. Bad news for the Great Barrier Reef.
1: Indeed, in Australia, more than 90 percent of the coral reefs surveyed on the Great Barrier Reef suffered some amount of bleaching during the Southern Hemisphere summer, according to Australian government scientists. Coral bleaching is a stress response when the corals are effectively cooked by rising ocean temperatures driven by man-made global warming. If conditions don't improve, coral can die Scientists say the bleached coral is still alive And they hope most of the reef may recover It is the fourth mass bleaching event in seven years But the first to occur under cooler La Nina conditions in the Pacific Ocean And
0: why is it a bad thing if the Great Barrier Reef dies? Other than, of course, the tourism and so forth
1: Well, because coral reefs are nurseries for nearly a third of all marine
0: species Oh, so that's all as the coral reef goes, so goes the oceans.
1: Simon Bradshaw, research director of Australia's Climate Council, warned that the reef cannot take much more. And the science is clear that its future depends on very aggressive, determined emissions cuts this decade from Australia and from the world. If we have any shot of a living reef in the future, we have to be bringing emissions down very quickly through the 2020s. Reef scientists also accused Australia's conservative coal-promoting Morrison administration of trying to bury the findings amid a contentious national election. Also not great news, a new analysis published by the journal Nature has confirmed a link between man-made global warming and the spread of disease, concluding that climate change will cause new diseases like COVID-19 to emerge more frequently. The researchers say that climate change and habitat destruction are pushing species into densely populated areas, particularly in Asia and Africa, in turn increasing the chances of cross-species transmission of viruses known as zoonotic spillover, which can lead to new epidemics.
0: Well, you know, given that so many billionaires made so much money off the COVID pandemic, now you're just encouraging them to make things worse, frankly.
1: Here in the U.S., more water cutbacks are ahead for the Southwest, which is now in the grip of the deepest drought in 1,200 years, with major reservoirs at record low levels. Mm. In Arizona, water officials this week warned that the state will likely have to enact its next phase of drought restrictions as early as August, triggering even more cuts to the amount of water Arizona received from the Colorado River. Top state water officials Ted Cook in a public meeting said residents must do more to conserve water by eliminating non-critical uses now to avoid deeper cuts later.
0: Most of the water use is outside the home. It's in the yard. It's pools. It's plants. It's lawns. It's things like that. So this is where we have, we have some capacity to deal with The needs to do further reductions.
1: In California, the city of Los Angeles will now limit outdoor watering to just two days a week beginning in June. Officials had called on residents to voluntarily cut water use 15% to conserve supplies, but urban water use across California increased by nearly 19% in March.
0: It increased in March.
1: Yes. Oops. But some good news. The Biden administration on Wednesday confirmed that it has canceled three offshore oil and gas lease sales for the Gulf of Mexico and the coast of Alaska that had been scheduled to take place. And that likely ends all federal offshore lease sales through the end of the year. The Interior Department cited lack of interest from oil companies, as well as legal obstacles limiting time to hold the sales.
0: Just more cancel culture.
1: And finally, a new analysis by the U.N. International Energy Agency finds that renewable energy deployment hit a new global record in 2021, despite supply chain disruptions and other speed bumps as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. And the world is on track to break that record in 2022.
0: Finally, a record we're happy to break. (laughs) Yes. For much more on all of these reports and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. You've
1: got the power now. There's a reason that this life can be electric. Oh, I can see
0: it. See it! Yes, please. <laughs> I know. Uh, Thank you very much, Desi Dorian. And I hate to, you ended on such a positive note there. I hate to even mention some related uh, breaking news since our uh, Green News report earlier today. Southern California wildfires scorch 200 acres and destroy two dozen homes. And those fires are still raging here.
1: Indeed they are. But that's that's how it works these days.
0: That's how it works. But don't forget, we had a great year for renewables last year. Yes. Renewable energy and moving yes. to electricity, right?
1: People are trying to bring those solutions online as fast as possible.
0: We will stick with that good news as we get the hell out of here today. Thanks to our producer, Tesi Doyne. Thanks to all of you for uh, joining us for any part of your day or night. It's always greatly appreciated and an honor if you missed any portion of today's show or just need to go back and take some notes, you can download it for free at bradblog.com. Everything we do here is uh, thanks only to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Sign up for a monthly subscription of any amount you like or just a one-time donation. It is all greatly appreciated. bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me an email if you like. I'm Brad Cast at Bradblog.com, and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. We'll see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Whoa!